Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octonon verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Josh Perry helps people optimize their mindset and health so they can increase their performance personally and professionally. His passion for helping others was born during his experiences battling brain tumors over his career as a pro BMX athlete and his pursuit of not just surviving, but to continue successfully living his dream. You can learn more about him and his powerful message by following him on social, LinkedIn, everywhere like that, Josh Perry BMX, and go to joshperrybmx.com to hire him to speak for you or train with him individually. Josh, as I said before, we should have just hit record from the beginning, but thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you, Marcus. Appreciate the opportunity and the time. Like we were just talking earlier, we could have been recording that whole time and I'm sure we'll have a good recorded conversation as well. We will. And then I'd love to be on your show. And if we do that, as soon as yeah, we get on. That's we'll how I run mine, just to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So for those that don't understand, you see adversity very much the way I do. You see it as a gift, but it takes a certain sort of resilience or it takes the willingness to build that resilience as it's being given to us. Sometimes adversity is tough love. Sometimes it's that choice that is choiceless. And yet we have to decide how am I going to respond in this moment? Tell us what you think about adversity. And then we'll talk about all the things that are so important to you that have actually put you on. The track yeah. I think the first thing today. that comes to mind and the image of the words that comes to mind when I hear adversity, is just like any aspect of life. We can find examples of like, without stress, we don't have growth. Jim's the most well-understood example of like, you know, we stress our muscles you know, we literally tear the microfibers down of the muscle tissue and then we eat well, hopefully, and then we repair and then we get stronger over time. And my parents teaching me at a young age, anything is possible. You just got to put the time and the work in having other examples growing up in the late eighties, early nineties of like Michael Jordan, the, you know, Drew Bledsoe transition to Tom Brady era and being a kid from mass, you know, like a lot of these examples were right in front of me. Although at the time I wasn't able to comprehend it consciously, I was modeling those figures. And then BMX came and Dave Mira was the person I saw along with Ryan Nyquist. And I was like, I want to be like them. And then getting into that world of BMX and just sports in general, there's a lot of adversity every day. And the people that get to any level that is beyond where they started, it comes from facing adversity and seeing beyond it. And in BMX and just like many physical sports, you learn these things very painfully at times. Um, And it's just a part of the process. And so I think between my parents teaching me and instilling in me that anything's possible, but you got to put the time in, you got to earn it, you got to work for it. And then also BMX teaching me that very vividly from a painful perspective of physical, emotional, spiritual, energetic pain, that whatever you're going through now, if you can see beyond it, you can accomplish it, but you got to put the time in, you have to work in. And that's where I started to understand more about 
this is my circumstance now, but what can I do to get beyond it? And I need to see it. And I'm very visual. And so being able to see the word role model too, like you're modeling someone in neuro-linguistic programming, you know, there's a phrase called modeling excellence. And it's just looking at someone that's done something similar or exactly like you want to do and getting into the mindset of them, getting into the actions, the behavior, the personality overall of them. And I had a lot of good figures, my parents and other people I've mentioned that allowed me to embrace adversity, not that it's desirable, but really to see that there's a learning in here. And I forget how the quote goes, but I just started the Tony Hawk documentary on HBO. Fantastic. And the way it starts is with, you know, you hear the skate wheels on the vert ramp and there's no picture. It's just black screen and it fades in and it's just him in late forties. I think it is trying to land a 900 on his vert ramp. And then they have a voiceover of him. I'm going to paraphrase right here, but I actually, I love the quote and I wrote it out, but it's something about, I was so focused on the vision that I was willing to get injured along the way. I didn't see myself getting injured, but I embraced it because of what was on the other side. And I was like, just that one quote, that's all anyone needs to watch. They don't even need to know, like see the rest of the film. That, that takeaway, it's just everything that I think about now at this time in my life, when I hear the word adversity, we have a vision and it's the difference of, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to fall down. We don't want to hear no, but embracing it and then being able to see and ask yourself, what am I to learn from this? And a lot of times it's not being prepared enough. What do I need to go back and work on to be more competent, to have the confidence to show up in the way I want to get to where I want to go and detaching from when that time is and maybe exactly what that thing is you want and being open to other gifts that are beyond even what you can comprehend in the moment. That's it. It's committing to the process entirely. Like you say, everything that we want is on the other side of adversity. And if we have a goal that is so compelling that we're willing to have this short-term pain to get to that place. And when we're on the other side, when we've actually succeeded, when we're past adversity, it feels irrelevant once we're there. So all that pain and stuff doesn't really matter once we can accomplish the goal, if that's what we're trying so hard for. So it is difficult to remember. And in the martial arts like judo or jujitsu, the first thing they teach you is how to break fall, how to tap out. And a lot of people are like, why do they do that? It's like, cause you're gonna get your ass kicked thousands of times in the process of learning this. And with what you do, what you were doing with the bike, and I've seen plenty of footage online of you falling, eating it, not falling lightly either, falling pretty hard, but yet it's just in you to get back up. And whether that be the modeling, whether it be that kind of blue collar mentality that you had, you almost bounce up like a ball. It feels like you just get right back up. Is that learned? Was that already in you? Is that something I think it's a combination of everything that you just mentioned. And the way I distill it is the difference between being defined by your circumstance or defined by the vision that you're trying to achieve and experience. And so with BMX, the vision was either learning this trick and riding away from it or putting together your contest run and, you know, hopefully winning, but you know, it's a judge sport. So it's subjective at times, but you know, you're really competing against yourself. And if you do well enough, if you're, you know, at that level to where you could win the contest, then cool. But when we fall down, it's taken like, I mean, for example, it's taken me months to years to have learned certain tricks. It was just a small tweak that I had to have someone say, Hey, rather than trying it right at this time, when you leave, wait a second to take off and then initiate the trick. And it just clicked. And so what I started to learn, you know, the things you mentioned, it's something that we can learn. It's something we can observe and model from others. It's something we can be taught, but it also comes down to us to choose between the circumstance we're experiencing now, the pain and the resistance to move forward and the struggle of any which kind, or choose to be defined by the vision we're working towards and, and embrace the moment. 
And I mean, I live this concept so much. And I mean, last year, May of 2021, I had a seizure in my sleep. And then I learned that I'd have to go through brain surgery, August of 2021. And just so happened to it lined up, my fiance and I were moving back to Florida. Mayo Clinic was an hour and 15 north of us. Dr. Quinones is there. He was like, man, like, we're going to do this. It's going to be good, but we're going to do it awake. And I remember 11 years prior, the first brain surgery I had in 2010 at Duke, I was afraid of being awake. And this time I was excited because one, I get really obsessed with different levels of consciousness through meditation, through flow state, through psychedelics, through all these different methods, deep breathing, like all this stuff. And I was like, hey, two things why I'm excited. Here's an opportunity to do something many people will never do. Even if they want to and they have the money, they'll never be able to do it. And then two, here's another opportunity for me to let people in to say or show, demonstrate how real my message is. And that it's not just this theory or this talk. Because a lot of people forget that like at 21 years old, 2010, I went through a brain surgery and then I had TBIs, concussions after. And then here's an opportunity for me really solidifying that what I'm speaking is real and I go through it every day and that I'm human. Because a lot of people have told me, and I mean, that's you know their opinion, their perspective that like I'm detached from reality and this and that and all these things. And then I have a conversation with them and it just changes everything because they get to know me and they get to hear. They probably didn't do the research. And so this time last year, I was like, man, one, I'm excited because I was so afraid of it before that I prepared for this moment to be excited because of the things I mentioned. But also it's an opportunity to let people in to see that I actually walk my talk and I live by it. And it actually saves and continues to save my life. And then here I am today. And so can you tell us about what your process was? What was your breathing? Did you go into any kind of meditative state? What were you doing while you were conscious? So that were is a moment where <laughs> I wasn't doing anything other than what I was told. So they put me out and I came to consciousness when they were taking the old screws out from the first surgery, which I didn't have a plate or anything. So essentially they go, they drill four holes, they cut the holes, they take that part of your scalp out, they do their thing, and then they screw the part of your scalp back together. So they were taking the old screws out and then they were cutting back. So like I came to when they were drilling out the old screws and then literally cutting through my skull to take that piece out to go in for surgery. And although there was no pain, it was such a surreal moment because I was very much there, just didn't feel anything. And I could hear it, it was like uh, those grinding tools. That's what it was. I don't even know how it not feel that's not the right word. But like, that's what it seemed like they were like grinding, because I could hear it, I could feel it. And that's just what it sounded like to me. But literally, they were cutting through the skull. But after that, it was just like, hey, Dr. Cruz, like, all right, so we need you to move this leg. Do you hear this noise? We repeat these words back to us, like testing all these motor functions because the tumor was located on the left side of my brain. I need to make sure my right side was working. So I'm looking at this nurse. Of course, I don't see my surgeon at all, but I have contact with the nurse that's helped me. And Dr. Q would say, all right, Josh, lift up your right leg. And I lift it up and then, okay, repeat these words back to us. Do you hear the sound? You know, we need to move your right arm, move your fingers and things like that. The only time where it was any sense of pain was when I learned that I blew through anesthesia really quick. And so there'd be like this sharp sensation when he was in there, almost like there was like a needle in my brain. And it's, it's a weird concept because the brain doesn't feel pain. It perceives it, but it was just, that's the best way to describe it. And then I would, Dr. Q said, when that happens, just let me know. Everything will stop. We'll give you some more anesthesia and then we'll proceed. And it did. So 
it was really weird because in that moment, although I'm like fully aware of what's going on, I don't know how to like describe if like I would have been able to focus on breath work or anything like that. And of course, that's not the objective. That's the cool aspect of it. I was able to participate in my surgery. I don't wish people would go through that, of course, but I'm very thankful I got to because what a cool human experience to have and to be able to share. It is. And like you said, that's got to be gnarly hearing and feeling or being aware of the idea of what they're doing to your body. And just like you were saying before that, again, walking the talk, I've had people ask me, it's like you did a TEDx talk and a book called The Gift of Adversity. So you don't have trouble with adversity now. It's like, no, I fucking deal with it every day. I mean, it doesn't go away. As humans, it's interesting. We acclimate quickly when there's no other choice. But once we have the option to get away from something, it's very easy to go back into that place. So I want to be tethered to adversity in some capacity every day to remind me of what I was doing before that, that led me to that place. And then where I am now, I still have neuropathy in my hands and my feet. So I do have it to an extent. And I've had some people say, well, you're recovered to an extent. Do you wish it was hundred percent? I was like, no, because if I forgot about it entirely, that becomes the defining moment. And what I have learned as you learned as well, you had Dave Mirra's like the best at the time as a mentor for you. But yet if you didn't process that information, if you didn't process it, put it into play, try it, fall down, adapt, change. There's no way it would have mattered who was talking to you or telling you what to do properly. We have to be willing to understand that and know that learning something by visuals is fine, but it doesn't mean anything until you're trying it. We've always heard people say, oh, that's a lot harder than it looks. It's like, yeah, there's a reason why it's harder than it looks because you're not actually putting it into play. So going out, falling down, literally trying to get back up and figure out, am I willing to do this again without getting gun shy, still committing, still being in this zone, still being in this presence. That's very hard for us to do, but yet it gives you an incredible, in my opinion, skill set. So now when you go from that professional capacity into like a coaching capacity or a speaking capacity or as an author, it gives you this incredible, I don't want to say advantage, but it's like it gives you this ability, this vehicle through which you can step in front of 10,000 people and it's not that big of a deal. Or when you're writing and you're trying to bear your soul, you can just bleed onto that page and it's very natural because that's very much what you're already doing in your life. Yeah, and 100%. And I think that that's something too with the whole adversity thing, going through adversity, it doesn't, you know, you learn from it, you become more empowered, you become, you know, let's say an expert in this or become more equipped in that. It doesn't mean you're never going to go through adversity. Being a human being, being a living organism of any kind, there's always going to be some external threat or internal threat to our existence, whether it's made up by self or it's an external, you know, whatever. So I think that the more adversity we go through, if we can take a reflection, you know, look back at ourselves, what we've learned, what we've gained, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience any of the negative emotions moving forward, or any of the, you know, limiting beliefs or thoughts. What I find is, especially through conscious repetition, just like any habit takes to form, it creates this unconscious programming or wiring to see a point of adversity of any kind and, you know, experiences a human being or any living organism would with the, the negative emotions of stress, fear, anxiety, whatever. But then in my personal experience, be conditioned to see or ask, what is the learning of this? How can I be better or how can I overcome this? How can I get beyond this? And what I first went through with, you know, specifically the first brain tumor experience, 2010, I was 21. I was like, I'd gone through a lot of adversity and injuries with BMX and other things, but I think that helped me get to this place sooner than if I hadn't. But the first diagnosis, I for sure played the victim card right away. I remember literally crying and asking myself out loud, 
why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Am I a bad person? Like I couldn't fathom like why this experience was happening to me. And then going through the process and different models of, of success to me, you know, my mom battling colon cancer alive and well today, Lance Armstrong's story, those two specifically in that first moment helped me overcome it. But then as the things went on, you know, the, the second diagnosis revealing two more tumors two years later and then gamma knife radiotherapy for it. And then the third diagnosis and then the fourth one and then so on and so forth. I lost count now. I mean, it's kind of a joke being hyperbolic there, but um, <laughs> every step, every bit of it, adversity was easier to understand and to comprehend and then get back to baseline and then at neutral where we're not clouded with emotion. It's intoxicating the prefrontal cortex. We literally, our IQ drops every bit of cortisol and adrenaline that comes in because we're not meant to think in that moment. We're meant to survive. So the blood flows to our extremities. We're ready to fight or flight or freeze if that's the conditioning and coping mechanisms that people have experienced in trauma that I'm learning. But my point is every bit of my, my life in the last 13 years specifically, every diagnosis, any form of adversity, I've learned, I've been conditioning myself by consciously repeating and learning how to do this work to get to that state of mind of what can I do? Not why is this happening to me? Why is this happening for me? What is the gift in this? What is the learning? And that was inspired by Jim Carrey's commencement speech he gave in 2013, 14 that went viral. And he said that he's, you know, life can happen to you or for you. You pick which one. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but seeing life as happening for me has been working out pretty well for me. And I, I heard that and I was like, damn, there's a difference between being a victim or not. And I have this tattoo on my hand. It's a C with a greater than towards the C versus an E. So it's C is greater than E. So to me, it's the equation to empowerment. What it means is being at cause for my reality is greater than being at effect to my reality. Meaning I'm not blaming, I'm not excusing, I'm not saying that these things are in my control that's happening outside of me, but I'm taking responsibility and accountability for what, I, and what I'm experiencing now and what I can do moving forward. Rather than saying it's this person's fault, it's that thing's fault, it's giving away accountability by being at effect to the circumstance it just puts you further away from your ideal circumstance or ideal experience moving forward. So what I'm getting back to full circle here on this rant is everything I've learned from BMX and the brain tumors and just any bit of adversity, it's got me because I chose to get beyond it. It's got me conditioned to when I see something now or I experience something now or something's happening in my external reality or internal, I go right back to what did I do to create this or and or depending on the situation, what can I do to get over this? But that becomes, at times, that's become a double-edged sword to where I take on this persona that I'm not gonna play the victim role. So therefore I've been learning, I've been suppressing my trauma. I've been creating different feedback loops that are hurting me. And now I'm like, damn. So maybe the things that are <laughs> happening for me as I saw it happening for me, I've taken too far on the spectrum and then I'm taking too much accountability where there's things that I had no control of happening, but I'm like, oh, I'm not the victim. I'm not going to allow myself to feel any type of sadness, guilt, shame, fear, anger. And ironically, that hurts me in the long run. So now I'm working through that whole thing. It's a spectrum. And so I think that adversity is really important, but it's a double-edged sword for the learnings. And it's just about being accountable, but also being human and knowing that it's okay. It's necessary to feel, to express your feelings, to get them out. Otherwise, what I've been learning through Bessel van der Kolk's work of the body keeps the score that shit gets trapped inside of you, literally, in your central nervous system. So you may not be able to recall an event, but your body, your central nervous system remembers emotionally and then physiologically. 
And then all these things just are coming full circle to me now, which is why I'm probably rambling now. So I'm gonna cut it off there. But I think it comes back to that conscious repetition of how you want to operate and how you want to see the outside world. Because when something happens, that'll dictate if you run from it and play small and you're the victim to it and you just continue the loops and the habits of getting back to point A, point A, or maybe your baseline rises. And maybe, yeah, you're afraid. I was afraid for wake brain surgery last year, no doubt about it. But I saw there's an equal level of energy, excitement. Let's shift my focus to what are the possibilities of letting people know that this stuff's real for me. And I'm not just talking, I'm walking my talk. And this is why I help people, but also what a cool experience. Like I have no other choice. Like I could just see if I continue living without seizures and maybe wake up, you know, someday, or I can go through this crazy technology that we have and a very talented, skilled surgeon, Dr. Quinones. And let's be excited for that because how many people get to experience this and then live to tell the story after? Well, and it's so true when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. And so we have to decide, listen, this is the choice. I may not want it, but how am I going to show up? How am I going to choose to appear in the face of this adversity? What am I willing to do? And then we have to make that decision over and over and over and over again. It never goes away. And back to what you were saying, even like the Kubler Ross method about this idea of there's five stages of acceptance. There is denial, which is where a lot of us play the victim. Then there's anger because it's based on regret of what we didn't do. Then there's bargaining, which is kind of a glorified version of a victim. What if I did this? What if I did that? What if I changed this? What if I changed that? What if I prayed to this God? What if I thought about this? What if I asked for this? Then we go into finally depression and then we bottom out into acceptance. If we're willing to be courageous and make the courageous decision within that loop, especially when there's a lot of adversity there, it helps us get to the truth faster. And that acceptance, like you said, that neutral, that baseline reality, but whether it be in combat, whether it be being assaulted, whether it be in a relationship and we're not willing to accept it for what it is. We want to go over here and battle semantics about something or the triviality of while this is not fair. Again, back to that idea of the body keeps the score. It's not our fault that it happened, but it's our fucking responsibility to do something with it. So I have all this energy built up because of this. What am I going to choose to do with it? What would be the way that would actually serve me? And if it's not about you, then ask yourself, it's not just to serve me, serve the people around me. How can I better serve them? Because that internal dialogue that we have, especially men do this, we have this internal dialogue where we're very aggressive to ourselves. And there's a time for that. But that internal dialogue eventually seeps out into the people that we love. That internal dialogue goes to our employees, people on our team, our wife, our kids, our families, our loved ones. And if we allow that to happen, now that toxicity goes everywhere. And now, unfortunately, because we didn't have the courage to actually say, you know what? And it is hard. It's not really a, so much a balance as it is the capacity to know when to adapt, just like on your bike. Like you're never really in a state of balance. You're always in this state of flux, but you have the skill set to course correct in real time in microseconds. And that's what allows you to land the trick. That's what this is all about. There is a time to say, versus a gift, I'm going to lean into this, but I've seen, seen a lot of people that try to emotionally bypass it. And then they sit on their hands. And their entire life is just on fire. And they're like, oh, but I'm grateful. It's like, no, you're not. You're trying to put your fingers in your ears and bypass this emotion and act like it's not there. And that's what a victim does. So there's a time when we have to accept it for what it is, but also say, listen, I'm giving myself permission or trying to use some empathy for myself and say, this is fucking tough. There's no in between here. This is going to be hard. But if I quit, I'm not going to get any closer to where I need to be. And that's where that level is. 
the adversity that you've gone through has been tremendous. And we're going to talk about other one examples for sure. But what is it that allows one person to face adversity and level up and get stronger while other people will face it? And that becomes a ceiling that they are arrested in their development. So I love from that their question. And there's a couple other things. I normally have a notebook and I write these things down. So I don't forget. You said so many things that I think are really important. Can you remind me of that question in a second? Something you course, said earlier absolutely. about being tethered or anchored to adversity, I think is really crucial. And I just remember that that's not one of the things I want to mention, but you said that a while ago and that really stuck with me because that's something I think that we're going to always face. Like it's, you know, as a human being, we're, we're wired to progress and survive. It's coded in our DNA as an organism to survive. And so I think having that relationship is what it comes back to that relationship with fear or stress, and then creating our own circumstances to be challenged like the gym, for example, I see that as not only helping my health, my mental health, because I'm creating my own obstacle to overcome. And I stole that from Joe Rogan on the podcast he had. I think it was Audrey Marcus and him were talking about creating your own obstacles to overcome. And the gym is a great one. And I think that bringing that to the idea that you mentioned earlier about developing skills and like having these things, that's why I think it's so important that sports taught me this. And that's been my life is sports. But I've seen this now uh, trying to you know, start and grow and build a business, a successful business as well, that it could be a side hobby. It could be a passion. It could be a business. It, anything that requires you to level up in the skill set, whether it's sports, which is where I come from. That's why I speak so much. I use so many analogies from my BMX days and just other sports. You know, it's, it's a great teaching, but it could be music. It could be art. It could be starting a business. It could be a side hustle. It could be anything, but something that you're not already good at that you are interested in and going through the motions of learning to get better and developing the skills because you're going to face different forms of adversity, you know, maybe becoming an artist, you know, painting or sculpting. It may not be as painful physically as what I chose to do in the world of BMX and falling from 15, 20 feet in the air to whatever body part might, you know, met the ground, but you're going to be emotionally and psychologically challenged. And I found that creating my own obstacles to overcome like the gym, or now I picked up golf. It's much safer than BMX. I haven't been riding for almost three years. This January will be three years. Personal reasons. We can talk about that later, but I find so many parallels with BMX and golf with the adaptability. If one thing it's the constant change in environment, even if you're on the same course on the same ramp, you going this much higher will create this much speed difference. And then you'll have to adapt this much. It's all unconscious, but because you've consciously done it and learned the process, it's autopilot. Now it's a habit. That's how habits are formed. You don't have to think about it. It's the brain's way of preserving energy. It looks for the path of least resistance. So getting back to my main point, I think it's important that anyone does something outside of the norm, or if it's something that they love that they already do try to get better at it. And because that pursuit for me is what led me on my purpose in life helping other people that I never imagined being or never fathomed being possible. And I have to give credit to a friend of mine, Isaac Stegman, who be a great guest for you as well. I've had him on my podcast. Of course, he's a great friend of mine. But he mentioned this when we first met almost five years ago now. He's like, Josh, your journey from what you've told me, what I've learned about you is a journey of off self on purpose. And it got to the point where I was trying, I had to be on self so long though to get off self, meaning I was in such a survival state. Most of my life I'm learning now for 33 years now, it's been so much of me literally trying to survive to where I've been selfish, meaning my focus has been narrowed to self as a living organism trying to survive. And I get to a point where I just did things I enjoyed and I tried to progress. And then with the brain tumor, you know, adversity, the injuries and other things, I was like, okay, how can I better myself in this area? How can I overcome this? How can I do that? I learned all these skills. And these interests grew that became passion so much so 
I decided to leave BMX and start a new journey, creating a business on passion to help other people. But it, it was only when I could get out of the water and stop drowning and breathe and I could be like, oh, I can do something with this to help other people and contribute to society in my own passionate way that I was able to get off self on purpose. Doesn't mean I don't get selfish at times with stress, especially finances in the world we live in today, or now, you know, being re-diagnosed for, I don't know, the seventh, eighth time with two new brain tumors. The idea going back full circle is having something, whether it's on the side or full time that you enjoy, most importantly, you enjoy, it can be done if you don't enjoy it, but it's better if you do enjoy it, that you can progress with. Because that chase of bettering yourself is what helped me discover a higher purpose in myself later on. But the skills along the way to better my life or my being in that aspect of life allowed me to have these tools to prepare myself for shit I didn't ever fathom being a part of my reality. Like when I was 21, before the brain tumor diagnosis, I thought I was going in to get an MRI follow-up from the MRI I had two days ago and be told two more weeks off your bike because of concussion protocol. Never, ever ever did I think that I was going to be diagnosed with a brain tumor, let alone the entire left side of my brain pretty much. And so I think that that's an important piece is finding a skill or any interest in life and working to be better at it because of the stuff it teaches you about yourself as well as how you see the world. And then there's another thing that I think goes with this in terms of your question actually is there's this concept of our perception is interpretation, meaning what we're perceiving is how we interpret the event. And I would add a layer to that, it's actually projection as well. So what we perceive in our environment is how we're interpreting it, which is based upon how we're projecting onto it based on our past conditioning. And so I forget exactly what the question is, but I'm, I'm glad that I remember that concept because I think it speaks to your question. I just forget exactly how you asked. So I'll leave it there because I, I want to know if that actually spoke to your question. No, it absolutely did. And the specific question was, there's people that see you and you just mentioned in passing, oh, by the way, I got diagnosed with two more tumors. And so people see you and they're like, oh, well, we just look at Josh. He's like, oh, no big deal. So what, you know, this is the norm. I just kind of take it and go forward. But there are some people that, again, when I was in chiropractic school, they told us so much about differential diagnosis. And it's like, not in your scope as a chiropractor to tell this person, hey, there's this weird, like, mass in this lung field in your upper left quadrant of your lung. And I know that that's cancer, but I can't say that. So I have to refer them out to their MD and let them actually get that taken care of. But it was so important for us to understand that people attach meaning to this name of cancer or diabetes or whatever it is. And that becomes their identity. And for you, you have not allowed cancer to eat away at your identity. You know who you are and you know who you are with cancer in that, so to speak. And that's kind of what I was asking was you've just been around this so often you've developed resilience to it, but for other people that have gone through hardship and again, adversity is relative. It's not a competition. It's not a one-upsmanship type thing. I hate I hear that all the time. That like stuff. your situation is so much worse than mine. And this, and I'm like, because you're making it like that, I don't see it as any better or worse. I don't see things being good or bad. It's a challenge because we're human. We have a left brain that creates stories where we have egos to protect us. It also creates a shadow, the shit that we don't think that we'd ever do or be unless we're pushed to the right limits. But I don't I don't see the difference in things like that. I consciously say that unconsciously, the human brain is designed to label things as X, Y, and Z because that's how we differentiate ourselves from the outside world. But that's a common thing I get. It's like, Josh, what I'm going through is not as bad as you. 
And I always say now, I guarantee the level of what you feel is similar to the level of what I felt. The micro looks different, of course. You, no one's going to have the same micro of their lives compared to the next one, even if you're twins. But it, it affects you. And that's why I've, I've heard so many people that I've connected with that are millionaires, billionaires that are like, my problems still hurt. But it's not, people can't, most people can't relate to them, just like me. Most people can't relate to having a brain tumor, let alone multiple, and what that's like on top of the other stuff that I've gone through. Just like I can't relate to what they've gone through because that's not my life. And so I think that that's a very, a very important consideration for people before they go and judge themselves negatively or positively compared to other people is have some compassion for yourself, what you're going through and stop denying your reality because it's your reality. And that's something I've learned from Dr. Nicola Perra's work as a psychologist. And Dr. Mate was just on her podcast and he challenged her because she said something and he's like, Nicole, would you tell a four-year-old what they're going through isn't as bad and they should just suck it up because what the other four-year-old's going through is worse? She's like, of course not. What about an adult patient of yours? They're saying that X, Y, and Z is a problem, but hey, that person down the road has no arms. What are you complaining about? And she's like, no, I would never say that. So why do you say that about yourself? We, it's so easy for us to diminish and deny our reality because we've been conditioned that by that from our parent figures. And that's not to blame them. They're doing it out of love. They didn't know better. Hey, you're crying. It's not that bad. It's okay. It's okay. Rather than like, hey, what's going on? Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely understand. Like, and that's what I've been learning about myself. And by me doing this difficult work of trying to better understand myself, it's not a judgment game, like you said. Like, it's just the more I learn about myself, the more I'm like, oh, I have so much more work to do. But it allows me to relate to other people and let them know, like, hey, I see you. I hear you. I feel what you're going through. It's okay to feel those things. It's less problems in the long run if you try to stop denying your reality and compare it to other people because what you're going through is real and it's affecting you in this way. And so when people look at me and they're like, oh, Josh is this and that, like I've had to actually, I thought I was vulnerable before and I've had to be more authentic and vulnerable with, with these things because people see me and I've literally heard, you know, you're like this emotional robot or that you're like detached from reality. Like, I can't be like you, you're this, this and that. And it's like, no, like, and I, I had to learn like, where did I go wrong with my messaging? And so I had to share more of like, Hey, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z just because I'm the, you know, overcome adversity fear guy. And I literally have across my arm tattooed fears as a thought thoughts we changed. And then this tattoo, they're reminders of me to let me know these emotions are actually information. They're emotions that are the language of my body that's triggered from a thought, which is the language of the brain telling me that something's out of whack or something's happening. And there's good emotions, there's bad emotions, and they all influence behavior, action, emotion, you know, creates action. And they're reminders to me that, hey, if I'm experiencing this, let's stop denying it. Let's stop suppressing it. Let's express it and work on it and find the learning in this. And so to your question, I think that's, you know, when people see that, I have to remind myself, I need to do a better job communicating what I'm going through and how I'm navigating it. Because it's not like I don't feel, especially with, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I got this new diagnosis and I was like all prepared for a one-year follow-up. And like, you know, I had this feeling in the waiting room. I was like, man, like, I feel like he's going to tell me that the surgery was a success, but they found something else. It's exactly what happened. So I don't know what that is, but it's just life. It's just being a human and, you know, getting deeper. It's just being a living organism. Like we're coded to survive. And we also have complex brains and prefrontal cortex that makes us different from other animals that we attach labels and meanings to things. We're meaning making machines and we want to make meaning out of everything because it allows our ego to feel more satisfied. And I think when people look at me, 
and then they have some sort of inspiration to say like, man, I, I, you know, you're this or that and putting me up. And I'm like, that tells me I'm not doing a good enough job communicating. And I need to let people know I'm a human, you know, of course they know that, but like, I feel the same thing is it just because I'm sharing empowering work and I live it doesn't mean I don't go through it. That's why I share it. Cause it's reminding myself of, you know, how to navigate the process. It's everything. And diversity is relative. It's not a competition like we were saying. So if you have a scale of one to 10, we all have our scale of 10 of adversity, whatever that is. And it could be financial, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, it could be physical. And there are all these realms that we probably have separate tens in different parts of our lives when that happened. But for us, that is the hardest thing. So again, comparing notes to you, me, a person that's in human sex slavery right now, there's a lot of first world shaming that we're giving ourselves that is unnecessary because it's given us an excuse to not face what's really going on with us. And you were talking about us being labeling machines. The only meaning that diversity has is the meaning that we give it. And the only way that we can actually give it meaning is to accept it for what it is without denying, without putting our fingers in our ears, without acting like it's not there. Because adversity doesn't show you who you are. It just strips away all the stuff that you're not. It burns away all the stuff that's not there. And then when you get down to like who you really are and you're raw, it's ugly. There's a lot of stuff that we don't like but we focus on a lot of that negativity. But even if there's a bunch of stuff that we don't like, there's a couple of things that if we accentuate that positive and we look at that, it's like, yeah, but I do this well. That really is true. I do this well. That really is true. I am a good person. I do listen to people, whatever it is. And then if you can cultivate that, instead of focusing on the negativity, if you cultivate the positivity, it naturally vicariously allows us to overcome those other things. And the reticular activating system tells us, it's like, if I focus on all the negativity in the world, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to see. Just like if we see a red car that we're looking for to buy, all of a sudden we see a red car everywhere. It's the same thing. We're just kind of aware of it. As hunters gatherers, we were looking for signs, whether it be game or the enemy in a tree line, whatever it is, but we get to choose what are we trying to see consistently? Am I trying to see opportunity? Now, am I bullshitting myself or is there really a potential of opportunity here? And it's amazing what we start to hear conversations at a restaurant people talking somewhere that we wouldn't normally be engaged in simply because that's what we're choosing to look for. And if we see ourselves bombarded by a lot of negativity, whether it be intentional or not, whether it be people yelling at each other on social media, regular media, whatever it is, there's a lot of stuff that's vying for our attention right now. But the thing about adversity is it forces you to drop everything else you're doing to give it your full undivided attention. And lots of time it's that slap in the face that we need to make us stop, to make us put our phone down, to make us actually look and go, holy shit, wow, this is real. I have to deal with this. And for many people, that's the first time in their life that they've ever had a conversation. Every human being on the earth, for the most part, I'd say, unless people were just, you know, living in the woods and not part of society in some fashion. But it was to a large degree, this everyone had the same problem. The course was other problems that came from that and the micros of their lives, but it's really unique. I forget where I heard this recently. They were talking about that, and it was just it made me think, I was like, man, like at the same time, for the most part, majority of human beings were faced with the same exact problem, the one same problem. And I saw two things happen with people. I saw people say, this is a problem for me and it's a new problem I have to experience and overcome. And then I saw a different set of people that were saying, man, this exposed problems for me. It didn't create anything new. It just exposed stuff for me, different systems I lacked, different things I was engaging in or consuming or that I shouldn't have been, whatever it was. And I was like, man, like that's, that's interesting. And so 
what I found was being pushed to my limits, I learned the attributes of what I didn't think I possessed. But then at the same time, I had to embrace the duality of my ego and my shadow. And I had to embrace that. And at my core, you know, I have these elements that are the dark parts of me that I don't want to acknowledge. Therefore, I, my ego is formed and my persona of who I am and all these things. And when the pandemic happened, my fiance and I both went through this. We were like, man, we recognize a lot of things we didn't like and that we were participating in creating. And so for us, it just exposed a lot of things that we weren't really aware of. We kind of had an idea, but we were like, oh, things are still rolling. It's fine. But when that broke, it was like, man, it didn't create anything new. It just exposed stuff for us. Not that that's everyone's reality, but that way of thinking, I think is it's easier said than done because I still go through that, you know, knowing I'm a white male born and raised and living in America, like it could be worse. You know, I, I was lucky that that's my reality. But at the same time, one could say, well, if that was lucky, then what was the brain tumors? I still see this. I'm fortunate and grateful for them. But I think too, you know, this idea of perception, going through the brain tumor diagnosis again, two weeks ago, I got the news and I found myself denying my reality by saying it could be worse. You know, I, I've met several people with brain tumors that can't do anything that have died, you know, some that I knew well, some that I just had met. And I'm like, I'm still alive. And then I was denying myself. I was suppressing my emotions. And then anger would come out, me doing something I enjoyed. I'm like, what is this about? And my fiance told me last week or the week before, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to, to feel like a victim and things like that. And I was like, but that doesn't do, and like, that's my ego trying to attach to that meaning I've made of my life. It's like, but like, if I play the victim, then it doesn't allow me to overcome. And then I'm just giving more energy and the negativity and it doesn't do anything and I'm not progressing. And then she like walked me through it, and I was like, Fuck, I need to just take a day where I play the victim card. I express all these emotions. I'd sit around and do nothing. But that's been a big theme in my life too. Like coming from a past, understanding that I was addicted to stress, which is a classic sign of trauma. And then getting into an example they use of extreme sports and like all these things. And I'm like, man, like I've always had, or I've developed over the last 13 years now, this idea that I could have been doing more. I need to do more. It's not okay to rest. It's actually okay to rest. It's not, I need to do more of this. I need, like, I can't just sit down and enjoy myself with this. And then understanding that relationship I've had with myself and stress and, you know, being lazy or the victim or the last three years has really changed everything for me into where now I, I think we were talking about this before we started recording that I'm like, man, I'll say this. I, learned recently that I've been suppressing a ton of trauma in my life. Of course, that's what we do as humans. We try to protect ourselves from those negative emotions. And the way it came up, my fiance asked me maybe four, five, six months ago, she's like, Josh, do you remember before you went into surgery in August of 2021, you gave me all of your login info, told me to all the things, told me where your book manuscript was and this, where your course, like all that. She's like, where do you think that came from? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, what, what do you think fueled that? Like, I didn't ask for any of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, and I was afraid of dying. <laughs> I recognized that. And I was like, no, you're not going to be afraid. You're going to be excited. And I took on that persona. But then it was a double-edged sword because then I was pushing people out that were trying to be there for me and say, you know, we're sorry. We love you. And I was like, I'm not going to register any of that because that's not going to help me overcome this. And in that moment, you know, when she asked me that question, it all just clicked. And that's when I was like, man, we both have gone through so much and we haven't really dealt with it. We've just blocked it and pushed it away because that was my coping mechanism. I learned that. And that's what Dr. Mate's work has really helped me with my coping mechanism when I was younger, growing up in an abusive household with a stepfather that literally, like figuratively and literally, you know, abused us mentally, physically, spiritually, all those things. 
on top of the other things I've gone through in my life, I was like, man, at a young age, and Dr. Mate explained this very simply, he's like, at that age, your brain perceives fighting or fleeing as equally harmful situations. So you develop coping mechanisms of checking out, disassociation, ADHD, all these things, or coping mechanisms of you know having to overachieve or be the people pleaser or all these different things. And I was like, fuck. All these bits of adversity, going back to what we started this conversation with, have just taught me more about myself and the things that have been exposed I need to work on. And so now tying this full circle to my recent diagnosis, I'm saying, hey, you have no genetic you know, link, no even correlation, no mutation. We don't know what's causing these meningiomas. Thankfully, I don't have on my spinal cord, which they also result there, but, or these crazy growths that happen on people's bodies. And, you know, I don't have those, so that's cool. But I'm like, I think I know what the root of this could be. It's, it's suppressed trauma. It's trapped in my central nervous system. I think we talked about this before we started recording creating a low grade chronic inflammatory response. And then epigenetically, it's creating some type of excessive growth and cellular turnover. It just so happens to be in the meningeal layer of my skull. I don't know why. I, mean, I guess I do, but I don't. It's a hypothesis. But either way, the meaning I chose out of what I've gone through with that is to do this. And the work I do, my writing, my speaking, my coaching is to help other people be better equipped to handle times of stress and adversity, not saying it's not going to come, but be better equipped to handle it, to overcome, to be stronger, and then be able to share that with you know the people they love and show up you know better for themselves and the people that they love as well. And that's the key. We're giving them tools from what we've experienced from our own adversity, like real life adversity. And now we give that to them. And if it can work for us at that level, it can work for them when they're having a disagreement with their kids or when they lose their job or when there's a car wreck or when there's some disappointment. But again, it's always going to be there. It's inevitable. It's on the way. As you and I are speaking, there's adversity coming for us, but we have to have the idea of, it's just, I live in Oklahoma. There's tornadoes here. I don't live in fear. If I see one or if I hear a siren go off, yeah, I'm going to take shelter, but I don't live my life around it. Have you read oh, Already Free I before? I some... Sounds familiar. It's tremendous. He takes Zen Buddhism and applies okay. it to psychotherapy. And one of the analogies that he uses is he says that if we try to bypass and push this emotion away, like adversity or fear, I push it. And then every time I get close to it, I push it again. And literally I find myself revolving around this thing and it becomes the center of my existence. And then I start making decisions subconsciously based on the anticipation of that being in my path all so i haven't read that time. but that concept i just started listening i'm like 15 20 minutes into ed milet's podcast with dane cook and they were just talking about that with anxiety and pushing it further in it's your brain's way of anticipating something happening but if you push it away you don't embrace it you obviously can't learn from it but then also he learned to use it and reframe it to excitement because it was not warranted in the situation but it had been conditioned from some from the past that makes a lot of sense and i think that that goes back to another book by i think it was ryan holiday wrote the obstacles the way and embracing fear so my fiance jackie she's a former taekwondo athlete team usa and that's how she got exposed to athletic training she had to make that choice and in, in college do i want to go this route and potentially be broke forever or do i want to go this route and then we met because she was the one that convinced me to get my knee fixed riding for two years stubbornly in a torn acl and then that, you know, year and a half later, we started dating and we're getting married in February now. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations. So she and I have had these conversations with, you know, anxiety and fear and this and that. And I know in martial arts, 
when you run from fear, I actually had this demonstrated by MMA fighters. They're like, yeah, we're going to show you some chokeholds and this and that, arm bars. It was the idea that my friend Isaac that I mentioned earlier, he brought together the world of martial arts and business and combined them with just different things with friends in different areas. And the athletes were telling us, you know, in certain positions with arm bars or whatever, when the opponent actually pulls away out of fear, it actually locks you in better for it. So what they were teaching us is to roll into the fear to get out of the hold. And so that concept of like the obstacles away, like fear, embrace fear, adversity, like run towards it. There's so many different analogies that we can find. And like, it's easier said than done, of course, you know, know, we're both human. So we have those innate feelings to run, but it's like when we can catch ourselves, which is conscious repetition over time, get conditioned to, okay, here's the event. I'm afraid of it, but what is there to learn from it? How can I overcome it? The only way to overcome it is to go through it and overcome it, not run from it and just making it worse. And then, like you said, create a 360 degree circle of fear, anxiety, and worry and stress and all these things that just makes it more and more heavy and heavier. And then we're just trapped in autopilot 60 years old or 70 years old. And we're like, where did all the time go? I've been living in fear for so long. Right. Because they can't even know what it was like before that. And you mentioned martial arts. I've done martial arts since I was 11. And if you've read The War of Art, he says, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. If I have a blade, when I'm further away from a person, they're in the range for me to actually use this. So technically, I have to get close. If they have a blade and I'm unarmed, I have to get close to them to suffocate that thing. The further away I am, if I'm within their reach of the the blade, they're going to get me every time. If I get inside, I choke it off. And even if I choke it off once and they bring the blade again, like you say, now I occupy that space. Now I stop it from being able to come in. I suffocate the energy like a a wet blanket on a fire and that stops it. And most of the time, if there's a weapon involved, both the person who's being attacked and the person that's attacking are both completely fixated on that one singular object. That's the adversity for them. But if you are trained and you're used to it, now if the blade comes at me, I'm aware of it. I respect it. I prioritize it. But when the blade comes now, I'm disengaging the blade and I'm headbutting simultaneously. Because this person is not thinking about being attacked at this point because they're in the middle of it. If I can do that headbutt them, allows them to come up now and get the elbow. Now I'm going for the throat of their soft tissue and now I can disengage the weapon or re-engage it towards them. But it's that break in time. And most of the time, whenever adversity has momentum, it's hard to break that. It's hard to stop it. We were talking before we recorded, you have a flat tire and then you have something financial happen and then you have an argument with your fiance and then something else happens. You're like, shit. My life is going to hell in a handbasket. It's like, no, if this had happened on a Monday, the next one to happen on a Wednesday, the next one to happen on a Friday wouldn't be a big deal. You just take it in stride. But we have to learn to step back, breathe, disengage, see it for what it is. And even that idea of the adversity scale, if you make somebody write it down on a piece of paper and say, on a piece of paper, write 10 and zero, where does your adversity scale right now? If you're stuck in traffic, it's like, this may be a three compared to hardship that I've been through before. Not to make us feel bad about it, but to show us objectively, listen, I'm often making this worse than what it really is. And that's why people don't take action. They make the adversity, they make the mountain out of a molehill and they make it into something to where it's insurmountable simply because they're afraid to act. So again, with that analogy of pushing away from it, just revolving around it. And then what do they expect the people with them to do the same thing, to come with them for the ride. And then they create that chaos. They create that loop. They create that familiarity. They mistake familiarity with preference. Like you were saying before, all the trauma from earlier 
Well, the only thing that helped that was this is chaos. This is what feels familiar for me. Oh, I'm getting all this adrenaline dump from riding this bike. Hell yeah. I'm going to go into this thing and see what I could do. And all of a sudden that becomes sort of our existence, but yet you've done so much powerful work on yourself and with other people in the process of saying, listen, this doesn't have to define me, but at the same time, I am going to acknowledge it for what it is. If we can make our, our wound, our adversity sacred and let it just be there. You were making the analogy of feeling bad about something and then say, no, this is not a big deal. It's a wound. It's an injury. So if I had a surgery and I have all these stitches, I'm like, well, I'm going to go out tomorrow and do a bunch of stupid stuff and rip all these stitches open. I have to respect the process, but many people get stuck in that place. And so even though they're all healed up and they're hundred percent, six months later, you see them and they're in the same place playing the victim, painting themselves into a corner intellectually where this becomes their identity, where that becomes what's familiar, which becomes their preference, which is what they continually default to all the time. And that's the person that loves to hate Mondays and loves to love Fridays and bitches about how short the weekend is. And they tell everybody in their network about it. It's like they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. And now, as you say, that becomes five, 10, 20 years. And now they're like, what the hell have I been doing with my life this entire time? It's like, well, I'm sorry you don't get the time back, but you can choose now how you're going to exist in this moment from here forward. 100%. So we have and to I think do the work. There's a concept, what we focus on expands to really help me create more awareness to what I'm focusing on consciously and unconsciously. And combining that with the point you made about the known, familiar, even undesirable, it's not what we want, but it's known. So therefore it's perceived as safe. And then we say we consciously want to get healthier, be more financially free, get out of this relationship, acquire a relationship, start a business, whatever it is. But because it's not something that we've done yet, our senses tell us that it's not safe because it's unknown. And that's why I think the concept of the pleasure versus fear or survival, the difference is to me, pleasure isn't as meaningful as fear and stress because it doesn't mean survival. Fear and stress it's, it's our brain's coping mechanism of protecting ourselves. So we could say all we want that we want this or that, but if we're focusing on being comfortable and resisting the change and the challenge, then that desire isn't going to be as meaningful to overcome because there's no survival there. It's not protecting ourselves. And I think we get caught up and, you know, this known it's familiar. It's not what I want, but it's safe because I've been doing it for so long. My baseline, I didn't know, was slowly dropping and dropping. And now I get to a point where I'm like, oh, this sucks. I want X, Y, and Z that's different. And the brain perceives it as a threat because it's like, well, that's not what we're doing. How do we know it's safe? And I think that you said something earlier that reminded me of why I dislike, if not done appropriately, affirmations. Like, I'm rich, I am healthy, I am strong. But every day you unconsciously have no evidence of these things. So what I like to do with clients that you know want to have affirmations, I'm like, all right, well, let's do it a certain way by getting to the root of evidence you have that you are this type of person, that you have this experience. Rather than saying you are you know, X, Y, or Z, let's find evidence of what could contribute to X, Y, and Z to get to a momentum place, a building that momentum to get to the place where you can finally say, I am X, Y, or Z. 
because I, I think the whole, like, I am healthy when you're overweight, you look at yourself in the mirror and you see that you're not healthy. And then the other choices that come after that, because, well, I'm not this, what I say I am, I might as well not do any of that. I might not, not work out or exercise of any kind, eat shitty food, like whatever. That's where I'm like, affirmations don't actually work unless you have evidence that you're on the path of getting to where you want to go. So I think it's just all these things. And I really love the idea of like what we focus on expands because it gets you in that curiosity mode. And I think that that's another powerful thing I've learned that's helped me personally in life is being curious of things that happen rather than labeling as good or bad. Even, even when we get attached to things being good and like, this is good. And like, it's like, that uh, the Chinese story of the you know the um, old man with the horses and then the, that whole story of like maybe, all right maybe and just this is great maybe this is terrible maybe and like one of my favorite musician and artists is Mac Miller and the last two albums are not like what people think of if they're familiar with his work of being a hip hop artist rapper the last two albums are more singing and blues and jazz but like his way of creatively writing. It's it's crazy because he's always had this relationship with life and death. And you know, he passed away, I think, three months after my younger brother passed away, same age. But he always talks about the duality of life and embracing the good and the bad and trying to get back to this place of neutral, even though he struggled as an addict or depressed and all these things. And that's what I've taken from so many different forms of inspiration, whether it be music, it'd be writing, it'd be sports, it'd be speakers, it'd be storytelling. It's getting to this place of being curious rather than judgmental because curiosity puts us in a place of neutrality and allows us to think differently and emotions are intoxicating we talked about that earlier especially negative emotions but also on the same spectrum positive emotions it clouds or distorts our visibility to reality and to make sound choices and i've seen this with people in business that make a lot of money they're on this high and they spend all of it irrationally because they didn't make wise decisions because like oh i'm doing well and on the other end of the spectrum like i'm all this adversity this sucks and all this and like they can't see the solution right in front of them and i'm that person on both spectrums i've done i've done all of it and so what i like if anything else fail if all else fails but this one thing that I've learned to, even if it's after the fact, to be curious. It just, oh, that's awesome. That's a good thing. I wanted that to happen. You know, how can I learn from this? Oh, that's awesome. That's actually scary or that sucks. What can I learn from it? Be curious of it because it puts you back to that neutral state. It's not to say don't embrace the good, don't embrace the bad, feel it. But when we can be curious of things rather than judging them and labeling them, which is what our brain loves to do, but be curious, then we can potentially find more solutions and have a higher probability of creating the ideal life we want to experience. And I think that's, at the end of the day, my main objective for everyone in life is to be as healthy, happy, and fulfilled and successful as whatever they define that word success to them as. It, it comes from being curious of what we're experiencing and embracing life as a human. And it's, again, easier said than done. And I know these things sound cliche, but it's what helps me and like we talked about, I'm facing another decision of how to treat the, you know, the tumors that have come up in my brain again. And I, yeah, I'm trying to encourage my medical team of these different modalities with, you know, psychedelic assist psychotherapy with the root of them being rooted in trauma. And I, I don't know, I have a pretty open team, but the curiosity spectrum is what allows me to be in this state talking to you with the information I just received two weeks ago and not knowing what the future holds, but that's okay. Because I'm here now and I have an opportunity and I enjoy these conversations and 
you know, I'm on a mission to continue sharing because that's how I feel fulfilled in life. And I didn't know that my dream of, you know, chasing my dream as a BMX athlete and going all through all through the things that I did would put me in this position today. But I'm, I'm very grateful for it. You know, losing my younger brother and then, you know, my my hero, my friend, my mentor, Dave Mira, the way that I did, you know, I took on a lot of guilt and shame and anger for it. And it, why? what's that? Well, with Why? Dave specifically, I was with him two or three days before his passing, asking him for advice. And lo and behold, he was the one that needed support. Obviously, that came from retrospect after him passing and being diagnosed with CTE. And some of the things he said then clicked after the fact. And then my brother, 13 days prior, or no, it was like six days prior to his passing, he called me and asked for help. And I told him I'd help him, but not in the way he wanted because I wasn't able to because of the choices I made was, you know, I guess context, he will, he needed a place to stay even though he had a place. And I was like, Hey, I can help you. You get your own place, start, you know, get, you got plenty of resources, but I have people coming from Europe. I was training a 13 or 14 year old BMX athlete and his father's going to stay with Jackie and I for a month. I don't have anywhere to stay, but I can help you in this other capacity that you can make happen. And so I was working through the guilt of not being there, even though it may have not changed anything. So that's been a process I had to work through was, you know, the guilt and the shame with, you know, being selfish in those manners, but I was doing the best I could. So I've worked through those the best I can. And now, you know, obviously we talked earlier, I'm like embracing therapy, moving forward to, to work on some more, but going through those experiences, it was just like, man, like I have been like, every time I've gone through the last couple of years of the seizures, the awake surgery, the new diagnosis, and now whatever treatment they're thrown at me, like, why am I still alive going through this? You know, my, my brother is no longer alive. You know, Dave Mira is not alive. Other people are not alive, but I'm here. Why, why am I in my words then? Why am I suffering right now? I have this deep purpose to help people, these different modalities that I'm doing that through. And I'm still struggling financially and in my health, but I, I was focused on that. And so I was feeling that and I wasn't focused on the great loving fiance life partner. I have, you know, my ability to be healthy and able to do the things I want and all of these things. And so it took her snapping me out of it to realize that. And I made the meaning that, you know, I'm alive because I'm able to share this message and I'm willing to share what I've gone through. And I'm, you know, been inspired to research and study and learn these other things. And I can pass that on and I can learn from my brother's passing and what he, gifts he gave me before and then after the fact of his life that I can apply moving forward. And it taught me to be more focused on how many close friends I have that I consider brothers. And so all these things, and at the end of the day, I've taken on the meaning that my calling in life is to serve other people. It doesn't mean I'm not going to enjoy my life, but I'd rather contribute than do something I'm not fulfilled with and you know, maybe struggle to get to the point where I can sustain success in that manner or the manners I want. And a friend challenged me recently. He's like, well, why don't you just go get a job? And I was like, that's way more stressful. I'd be, I'd get depressed again. And what I'm going through now, I can get through it. And you know, I found some, some breakthroughs. So, so yeah, I mean, back to the beginning of this adversity, I think is very important. And there's different ways to seek it out, to prepare us for the things out of our control that happen in our lives that it's no one's fault. It's no, no blame necessary. It's just, let's be at cause for reality and think about what we can learn and what we can do to overcome, to be defined by the vision that we have for ideal life, rather than the circumstances we're going through that maybe aren't as enjoyable as we want. Well, and back to what you were saying, you can serve everybody and still live your life and enjoy it. And as a matter of fact, 
the more robust your life is, the better we can serve others, the more that we can learn, the more this lesson. Again, we've been talking about adversity for over an hour now. Everyone listen, we're not romanticizing it. We're not turning it into this thing where it's like, you know, I'm not telling you to go out and walk into oncoming traffic or yeah, don't do jump that. off a building without a parachute. I'm not saying stupid stuff like that. There's always people that will try to use that as the other end of the spectrum for the debate. Anything in excess becomes its opposite. I absolutely understand that. Having said that, there will be situations where we don't have a choice, where it's going to be something that we don't enjoy. And so the way that we arm ourselves leading into that dictates, okay, am I going to drag this out longer than it needs to be done? Or do I just need to not have any courage, stop being a coward and just lean into this thing, whether it be writing a paper for school or whether it be getting this assignment done for work, whatever it is, we will eventually get beyond that. And so we have to say, okay, how do I want to feel on the other side of this? And then how can that inform the way I want to act in this moment? How can I engage in this? Even this idea of, of breath work, I can feel afraid when I breathe in, but I can choose to be courageous as I breathe out. I can choose to allow this moment to be a moment that knocks me down or the moment that defines what my destiny is. And lots of times the lessons in adversity are simply to stop repeating the same mistake. Stop putting yourself in the same position. Stop putting yourself in a place where you don't have any leverage. Stop putting yourself in a position where now you are the victim or that you're contingent on what somebody else does. In this life, either you choose what you want or you become the result of someone else's decisions, period. They say that the meek will inherit the earth. No, this earth inherits the meek if you do not take action. And that's what we have to do every single day. And we have to engage in that every single day. Does it mean that we have to be fear-based? No, but it does mean that we have to say, I have to chip away at this thing. Because if I want to actually get to this place that I claim that I want, my actions have to be in alignment with what I say my priorities are. And just like you said, if you have this I am statement that says I'm this, and deep down we don't believe it, what are we doing? We're lying to ourselves. We know it. And now we're confusing ourselves. And now when there's something that we actually should be grateful for, we're conflicted. Is it? I mean, do I really believe, is this really true? And now all of a sudden we can't even be honest with ourselves. How the hell can we be honest with our fiance, our wife, our friends, our family, our kids, our clients, the world. Your authentic self is the only thing that is sustainable in this life. Figure out who you are, embrace some adversity because that's the gateway to self-knowledge and do the work. Everybody's trying to heal. Everybody's got stuff they got to deal with. Embrace that and understand that everybody around you is doing the same thing. And if you're wanting to learn more about this, go talk to Josh, go to his website, follow his material on LinkedIn. How can we learn more about you? Is your website yeah, the best place so. to learn and about you? I wanted to add something to you just said. It reminded me of a quote that I love. I forget who said this, but I believe it goes, we don't decide our future. We decide our habits. Our habits decide our future. And that when I, I heard that two years ago, and I just loved it because it's just another reminder of things outside of our control, which I would, we could have a three-hour debate on control, but things outside of you know what we choose that happens in our lives we can't control that. But to a degree, we can you know, choose how we respond and how we move forward and the personality that we create. And I think that that's been a helpful reminder for me. And I just love sharing that quote. Yeah, it's powerful. And so you have your first book coming out. Fear is just a thought. It's the tattoo that you have on your forearm. And that's going to be out next year sometime. But there's a lot of things that you have working right now. And there's a lot of work that you're doing. People can hire you to speak as well, to come speak to their organization 
And then when you're at the organization, you can also do coaching for them as well at a, as yeah. a high level as well. So I do right? individual and, and team coaching just really depends on, on the needs. Yeah. I never, never fathomed I'd be doing either of them, especially speaking, but I love the idea of performing. And, you know, when I took, we didn't talk about this when I took BMX away to figure out who I was without BMX attached to my name, I went through depression, depressive state. And my fiance was like, yeah, you just broke up with your first love, which is a chapter title of one of the chapters in my book. But I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I had to accept that after denying that for a while and working through all that and the guilt of not riding because my brother was like one of my biggest fans. And, you know, it was a year after he passed, I decided to stop riding, like all those things. But yeah, I think the whole identity thing, it's it's a weird, weird concept to work through. And yeah, the book Fierce is a Thought. I mean, it's just part of my story and part of learnings that I, the experiences I've gone through, what I've learned. And it's just another way for me to reach more people and have a an impact. But yeah, speaking and coaching, I never fathomed, especially considering myself stupid from dropping out of high school and hating to read until I found things I love to read and hating to write till I loved found things I love to write about. And then I wrote a book and multiple books, but yeah, speaking, it's something I see as performing. And when I took BMX away, I was like, well, I can perform the best I can on stage. I can perform the best I can with my coaching. So I just, I really enjoy doing it, but it all leads up to the higher intention of helping people become better better performers of their own caliber or own genre of life that they choose personally and professionally. And like I said, I, I would rather do something I enjoy to make a living at, like I did as a 17 year old than to BMX with something that has a little bit more, I guess, contribution than just me riding my bike. <laughs> You're reaching a lot of people with your message now in a different way. And I think that while you inspired a lot of people being on the bike, you're actually impacting more people with what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's definitely something I've, I've been recognizing. It's so it's, it's always nice to hear that, to, you know, kind of get that external validation that I've also had a weird relationship with of not needing, but it's nice to hear that what I'm doing is having an impact and it just helps with those days where I'm like, man, like, you know, I'm stressed out or I'm not doing this or that. And it's like, all right, no, this is beyond me. And that's my reminder to get out of bed. It's like, it's not about me. It's about other people. That's it. Josh, I could talk to you for hours. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot. I think that our audience did too. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the opportunity. And when I start recording my podcast again, I'll, uh, I'll have to get you on there. And I have another project in mind. I'd love to have you on as a guest as well. So we'll, we'll obviously keep in touch. Of course. Absolutely, my friend. I appreciate you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.